Hi there, this is Stephen K. Amos, and you're listening to the Henley Festival Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Henley Festival Podcast, exclusive interviews from acts and artists who appeared at the festival in 2017. Coming up, we'll be hearing more from comedian Stephen K. Amos, including why he's waiting for Lenny Henry to die, not as morbid as it sounds. Also, Vonda Shepard, you'll probably know her as the bar singer in Ally McBeal. She'll have some intriguing insights into the music business and how it's changed. Plus, we'll hear from another singer-songwriter, Lucina, and magician and comedian Paul Zenon will be sharing a get-rich-quick scheme. I bet you I can pick you and the chair up with one hand. Uh, and if, uh, if I'm wrong, I'll give you a tenner. How's that? Okay. Yeah, you're on. If you listened to the last episode of the Henley Festival podcast, you'll have heard comedian Sarah Pascoe, in between stories of weeing ladybirds and life as a tour guide, talk about fellow comic Stephen K. Amos and his love of 80s pop band Five Star. I mentioned to her that I asked Stephen about this very subject. And if you're one of the millions of listeners who demanded that the Stephen K. Amos five-star chat makes it into the Henley Festival podcast edit, then you can stop panicking now. It has, and the moment is about to arrive. If five-star isn't your thing, then you have my sympathies. But don't panic. He also covers other areas of high culture. And as you'd expect, he's very funny indeed. I met Stephen just after his show backstage at the Salon Comedy Club. Hi, my name is Stephen K. Famos. Other people call me Stephen K. Amos. I'm in a field overlooking the Thames. I think it's a festival called Hinley. Uh, that's what my satinav called it, Hinley. And uh, I'm sitting behind a marquee, which was the Salon Comedy venue at the festival. How do you approach a show like that, where everyone's kind of dressed up to the nines, in a, in a place like Henley? Do you have to approach it in a different kind of way? What is the collection of Golly's dance? <laughs> <laughs> that, there's your answer. So, so could Stephen, could you just explain what's just happened there? So, say that again, please, sir. Now, that isn't some kind of outrageous uh, slur that gentleman's thrown at you. That does have a context within your show, doesn't it, Steve? <laughs> this, this, in, in fact, to give this context, we're sitting backstage with a fence kind of um, saving us, I suppose, from the, the hordes of people going past, of which there was a gentleman who you've just heard shouting. I do a routine. Yeah, uh, he, sh- he shouted that he used to collect those golly stamps in the 60s. I was doing a routine about gollywogs and the uh, the what the meaning behind it in in a very light-hearted way, but with a kind of silk, uh, message underneath, uh, which I knew would touch people. Hence, doing it and doing it here, you know, wow, great. He was dressed up to the nines with his bow tie and everything. It evidently seems that uh, you didn't necessarily have to change your act for him. But do you have to come? Do you have to think about it in a different way at all? Do, I think if you ever got to change your act as a comic to suit an audience, you're not being true to yourself. I think you've got to you've got to commit to what you're doing, uh, own it, and deliver it. Because hopefully, uh, comedy should uh, make people laugh and maybe inform people, give them perspective on something. Um, and the, for me, the best thing is people who may not necessarily be in your mind, your target audience, winning them over. I'm aware that you... Forgiven. Want, you, <laughs> wait for it. You once appeared on Mastermind, is that correct? Once, You yes. appeared at Mastermind. Yes. And your specialist subject was something <laughs> close to my heart. No. Five star. What? First of all, before I give you a mini Mastermind quiz on the world of five star, oh my God. why are they so special to you? I, well, I, well, 
bearing in mind, uh, back in the day, growing up as a young black kid in Southwest London, you want to see stuff on television, in the media, uh, in film, on theatre, that kind of represents you. And at that time, there was not a lot, to be honest, but then this group suddenly appeared, who were the UK's answer to the Jackson 5. And it was like, what? And my entire family were just like, wow, these people are awesome. So I'll do you a quick quiz then. So um, okay. First of all, name them all. Name them all. Um, Delroy, Denise, Stedman, Lorraine, Doris. Oh, very, that's one out of one. Very good. Where are they from? Oh, my goodness. Um, this oh. Think Steve Davis. Uh, Snooker, Thinker, Essex. Yeah, they're, um, yeah, they're from Romford. <laughs> and finally, at the height of their fame, yeah. they bought a luxury mansion called Stone Court, in which Berkshire town, famous for its horse racing, only a stone throw from Henley, was it? Oh, that must be um, oh, um, either Ascot or Ascot. Congratulations, Stephen. You have won Mastermind this evening. Well do done. I, do I get like their gold singles or something? Well, just behind here, I have them. No, I don't really. <laughs> you know, I did. I did a show, um, a pilot show for a TV show, and uh, that we were going to run with. And one of the uh, they, they got someone from Five Star Stedman on the show. Really? Unbeknown to me, lost my mind. And then this year. I did a pilot show for uh, ITV, and they got um, Denise. <laughs> this is like, I'm just meeting. And by sheer coincidence, a really good friend of mine from um, Amsterdam um, that I met way back in the early 90s runs their fan site. Whoa. Whoa. How mad is that? So if they were playing at the Henley Festival and one of them dropped out, would you be able to jump on and, and sing with them? Well, it would, it would have to be either Stedman or Delroy. Otherwise, I'd have to put on a dress. <laughs> and what would you, which song would you go for? Um, System Addict. Never can get enough. <laughs> oh, I can't help myself. <laughs> I can't help myself. Anyway. Moving on from Five Star, I got a bit bogged down there, sorry, do, do right. apologise. But say if you were putting the uh, the bill together for next year's uh, Henley Festival, who, you know, in your dream world, who would you have on the bill? Right, I would probably, comedian-wise, I'd probably go with someone like Reginald D. Hunter. Really to kind of, you know, throw a spanner in the works, if you will. That would kind of, does, it, does he tip into your replacing Lenny Henry aspect <laughs> that you've made the joke about? Tell us that joke. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> only because he's American, so he doesn't count. You might have to, can you slightly repeat, recap the joke, is that okay? <laughs> I said uh, something like, um, I can't wait to get another BBC TV series, uh, but apparently uh, we all know the BBC has a diversity policy, and I've got to wait for Lenny Henry to die. <laughs> one in, one out, let's not rock the boat. That, uh, that got a massive laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it did get a massive laugh. Um, so who else, apart from Reginald uh, Dehan? Who else, comic-wise? Uh, say musicians. Musicians. Um, uh, uh, maybe Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Oh. Frank, something subversive, yeah. something a bit different. Like I'm so annoyed that I'm not here when Shaka Khan is on. You know, I think she's on on Friday or Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And I, re I mean, she's a legend in my books. She is. They've got and a pretty if, good lineup. Yeah, if I could have a chance just to go on and breathe the air she breathes... Ain't nobody's going to stop me. And if you, Ain't nobody. See that? Oh, I I did. I'm sorry. And if you were going to ask, say, say I, I'm lucky enough to interview Shaka later this week. Shut up. Shaka. Shaka, Shaka Khan. No. I don't know. I don't know. You never know. It might happen. But what question would you like to ask her? And um, I can ask it for you. Um, when she sang her song, I Feel For You, 
Who was she singing that about? Okay. And if you can get her to say Stephen K. Amos, that would make my day. Stephen, thank you so much. You've been a delight. Thank you very much. And Stephen, if you are listening, sadly, I never did speak to Shaka, but I'm sure that's what she's been thinking all along. Imagine you're a celebrity that gets asked the same question all the time. For Morrissey or Johnny Marr, it's will the Smiths ever reform? For Shaka Khan, it's who are you thinking of when you sang I Feel For You? Sorry, Stephen. And for R. Kelly, it's when will you record a duet with your sister Lorraine? Well, when I spoke to Vonda Shepherd after her Henley Festival appearance, I had a hunch that she'd be in a similar Groundhog Day situation. So to mitigate this, my first question was... Is there anything that interviewers always ask you? Vonda said, yes. They always ask me about my role on Ali McBeal and how I got involved. Which was rather awkward because my second question was, tell me about your role on Ali McBeal and how you got involved. Thankfully, Vonda turned out to be a lovely person and she answered anyway. I was friends with the creator of the show. His name's David E. Kelly. Um, I had done a gig in LA and invited him and his wife down to see me play and it was really a fortuitous time because it was right when he was formulating this show Allie McBeal and originally he wanted the character Allie to be the voice he wanted her to sing and sing her thoughts and then he came to this show and realized that I was the voice he was looking for even though we were good friends um, it didn't dawn on him until that particular night so it was very serendipitous and is it a double-edged sword in any way or is it all positive do you think people remember you for that or do you sometimes get a little bit irked about it or is it always good it's good I embrace it it's part of my history and you know tonight I played Tellem and Switch on My Soul which I wrote so I you know I'm fine playing them and it makes me happy to see people reminiscing and enjoying themselves to those songs um, it, it took many, many years of me putting out more and more albums and touring to be able to balance the set and do more of my own stuff. You know, even though I wrote a lot of songs for the show, um, it, it's just it's taken a long time to figure it out, and now I finally feel in a good place with it. Can we talk about actually your uh, the last album you released, uh, Rookie, in 2015, I believe? Now I must admit I hadn't heard it before. I've been listening to it today, and I've binged on it, Woo! and I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed it. Um, one aspect I really enjoy, it sounded to me, I don't know, I might be way off the mark here, but there's a bit of a Muscle Shoals kind of sound going on and an awful lot of it. Is that deliberate? Is that a regular thing? Um, you know what I mean by Muscle Shoals, with that kind of like Stax, kind of Atlantic Soul kind of sound. It is definitely intentional, and um, my producer, who happens to be my husband, you know, really recognizes that quality in my voice and my style, my soul, my writing, and he kind of encouraged me to go down that path for this and my last album from the sun and um, I think he was right in in that it really does emphasize my most uh, I guess the qualities that I, I have that are the strongest and uh, yeah this album um, rookie I really still I love playing it I love playing like you said walk on the water that was the one that really stood out for me the the, the opening kind of few bars of walk on the water and it was like oh hello this is yeah. I can hear Al Green playing this it was like that I love it I love <laughs> Al Green yeah and his drummer was his drummer Willie Mitchell is yes, that his name yes, yes. I think so. so um yeah I I love playing that. I just don't get it as another one that I can. I could probably play that for ten years, you know, more at least. That sounded really contemporary to me as yeah. well. There was that element of kind of old Motown, old, right. old Atlantic Muscle Shoals. But it, I thought, wow, that felt like a hit to me. To be honest, that felt like a great record. I agree, and it's never too late. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I, I 
I totally felt that as well with that song, both that and Walk on the Water. I felt like they could have been hits in a different era when there was more, you know, record company support. Things have changed a lot in the music business, but we just we just go with it. And, and it's most, my career is now a word of mouth career, pretty much, you know, from live shows. Or, you know, someone buys the album at the show, I sign the CDs and... And the word spreads. You've been in the music business quite a long time. Um, since the late 80s, you were in artist development at Warner Brothers. How has the music business changed since then? Well, when you say I was in artist development, what that means is that Warner Brothers actually paid for my demos for four years. I wrote songs. They actually you know, came up with the cash, and they bought me a recording studio from my home. This is when this was the heyday of the music business when there was real artist support. It took them four years to sign me, but once they did, they got behind it. I did videos. I did a really high-budget album. There, the music business is basically um, it's for the superstars like the Beyonces and, and people like that. They're still going strong, of course, but. The new artists who are coming out, it's very tough. I wouldn't want to be a new artist right now. I mean, it's all social media, which is, thank God, that that, that exists. Um, but the budgets are tiny, you know, for an album. And there are, that's not always bad. You can do a good album for $30,000, which used to cost 200000 you know. Um, it's just... Uh, because of the the change in the in the industry where streaming and all of these things Spotify came along I love Spotify but nobody makes any money anymore so you go on the road and you you play shows you sell merch merchandise that's how you make a living songwriting in general how do you do it is anything changed does it get easier does it get harder (sighs) it's always hard to write a song it's easy to sit down and come up with the inspiration you know the, the initial inspiration from wherever it comes from and um, the initial stream of consciousness that comes when you sit down when I sit down at the piano the very hard part and it's been this way my whole life is the editing you know you have to go through it and say is this good enough no I need another part I need this the lyrics are not quite you know top-notch or whatever that's the part that takes the discipline so um, it's very hard for me to write but but it's worth it because then I have a whole album and I get to play those songs for years and years and they exist does it, this is always I find intriguing about musicians, particularly as they almost get more competent on their instruments. They, but nothing's a mystery anymore about the instrument that you play. And you'll sit down and you'll play something and you'll think, I've heard that before, or that, oh, that's too easy, almost. Do you ever get that and like maybe think, well, I've almost got to rethink the whole way I play or maybe pick up a different instrument? I think of, about that often, and you know, James Taylor has a sort of joke where he says, "I've I only write f- I've only written four songs." <laughs> he keeps writing them over and over, and I believe me, I've got a lot of those. Like I know better is similar to, you know, the Sunset Marquee or similar to Roll in the Dirt. They all are in the same, and yeah, and my hands naturally go to these certain places on the keyboard, and so actually, for this album, Rookie. Um, I had a couple drum grooves that I started with, and I and I, and even for from from the sun, I'm just remembering this now. I would drive in the car and have what I used to have a tape, you know, mm. tape recorder. It wasn't an iPhone. Pretty guitarist can retune his guitar to something different. A piano player, yeah. you're pretty stuck, aren't you? You are, and you're right. You can't. It's almost hard to lose yourself and forget. So you have to sometimes break away from it, and then sometimes you just stumble upon something on the piano that that is different for the first time in a year and you go with that um the key is just to be 
is to put in the time and sit there at the piano. You have to make a decision to do that. When I was listening to you, I kept, I, because of the Muscle Shoals links, I heard kind of shades of Aretha Franklin in there, but also uh, Carole King. Are they particular people that you kind of look up to or inspired by? Is there anyone in particular who does inspire you like that? Well, my two probably biggest influences, female influences, are Carol King and Aretha Franklin. Really? So you know, I didn't it. know that. I really yeah. didn't know that. It was yeah. just through listening. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Those are my two female influences, the top females. Um, Shaka Khan, I love. She's coming here tomorrow. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> She's a friend of mine. So finally, if you could just kind of tell me, what's your experience been like here at Henley Festival, and um, what would you say to anyone maybe thinking of coming along to this festival next year? Well, it's been a very fun light-hearted feeling to the festival it's beautiful and everyone is very nice and there's plenty of food and drinks and um, incredible view uh, so I would I would come and hang out for the weekend and bring my friends and family it's wonderful I, I hope to come back hi this is Melanie C and you're listening to the Henley Festival podcast Coming up in a few moments, we'll hear from magician and comic Paul Zenon, who, amongst other things, will show you how to win a tenor. But first, Lucina is a young singer-songwriter who appeared on the Bedouin stage at Henley Festival. Buckingham based, she's at the very early stages of her career, but with radio play in the UK and abroad and a debut album called Let It Out, things are starting to gain momentum. She told me about herself and her music. I play piano, so today I'm doing an acoustic set on piano. Um, the first album was very much kind of piano-based pop music. The new album is going to be a lot more mainstream pop style, um, which is quite exciting, quite different as well. I can't just sit down and write, decide I want to write a song. It's a case of it could, at any time of the day, I could get a, a line from a, for a chorus or a, like, a title for a song. And like, okay, that, that sounds like something could work. Or I get one tune in my head and that's it. I have to go straight to the piano. I have to sit there and write the whole song and it will just flow. But as soon as the, the inspiration's there, I could write a song in two, three hours. Um, my first gig was in a theatre. I did a boot camp. Um, it was for a three-month build-up, I think it was, up into a theatre show. I was 17, so it's 10 years ago now. And I was so nervous, I almost didn't want to want to go. <laughs> now I'm here and kind of in the atmosphere of it all. I'm, I'm quite calm, surprisingly. But um, it, it, I do still get nervous sometimes, but as soon as I get up there and I, I play the first note, sing the first word, then I'm fine normally. My name's uh, Nick Grimsh, um, Russell Kane, and you're listening to the Henley Festival podcast. Monty! Finally, on Paul Zenon's Twitter bio, he describes himself as a trick monkey, snake oil salesman and witch pricker. He's also a brilliant magician and comedian, so with this kind of double threat, he offers punters a cast-iron guarantee of a good time. He's also a sceptic of some renown, king of the con, and has the capacity to cause chaos in a car park, as you'll shortly find out. So, Paul, first of all, have you been to Henley before, and in what circumstances? Not necessarily as a performer, maybe even just as a tourist. Um... I haven't been under any circumstances before, actually, so I'm a, I'm a Henley virgin, actually, but uh, but enjoying it so far. As we speak, there's a, a giant skeleton walking past the fence, which is not something I've ever said in an interview before. <laughs> so there is a massive about it. How, how yes, well, tall? About well, three metre high? Welcome to my world of illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do that? Amazing. You mentioned that. That's a, a lovely segue. Your world of illusion. Tell me a bit about your show. Illusion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the show is basically a mix of, of sort of, I suppose you'd call it uh, street magic with stand-up, really. Uh, the tricks are kind of very much everyday object. It's not big glitzy boxes or, you know, 
sadly no uh, assistance with feather uh, headdresses and all that kind of thing. So it's very much sort of streetwise, the kind of thing you see on a street magic show, but done on stage with a kind of stand-up comedy with it. Does that give you the scope, as, as you're doing the magic as well, the scope not to have to have like a, a, a laugh every 10 seconds or anything? Can you let the show breathe a bit more? Um, that, that's my excuse for not getting a laugh that often. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean it like that. I'd actually prefer it if I was getting a laugh more often, but uh, yeah, I think one of the lines I use in the show is kind of, it's, you know, it's comedy and magic, so if something's not funny, it's a trick basically um, I think a lot of the problem with magic is uh, much of the time is that it's, it's a bit easy to come across as a bit of a smart aleck you know it's kind of I can do something and you don't know how I do it whereas I think the comedy sort of lightens that a little bit but the, the comedy also acts as a little bit of misdirection as well because while you're kind of laughing at something you're maybe not concentrating on what I'm doing with my left hand you know um, so they kind of the, the two kind of complement each other I think you know, the great thing about doing uh, sort of things like festivals and whatever is you just kind of come up with a daft idea for a trick and get to try it out, you know, you get to travel around the world and just do your own thing. And it's lovely because there's no sort of uh, sponsor breathing down your neck, you know, nobody <laughs> sort of wagging their finger at you. And I was discussing this the other day over a nice, cool, crisp, refreshing pint of Newcastle Brown, you know. <laughs> it really is more of a lifestyle than a drink. I said on your uh, website, I think. Paul has always had a devious streak. As a teenager, he travelled around the Mediterranean, earning his living through suspect practices. And he wouldn't wow. actually say quite what those were. <laughs> Are you able to enlighten us at all? Well, yeah. I mean, I've, of, of late, I've kind of had a bit of a kind of running with various psychics and mediums about uh, about things. And that's where it stems from, really. Because when I was growing up in Blackpool, I learned to do uh, palm reading and tarot reading. So when I was abroad doing the kind of backpacking street magic stuff, there were a lot of places where you couldn't do the magic the police wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't let you so I used to set up in bars and do a bit of kind of psychic nonsense and so I was kind of you know uh, earning money under false pretenses if you will but then again I suppose that's what magic is you know you're you're lying to people for a living which is what I suspect quite a lot of people here do as well to be honest you touched on it there you're you're now renowned also as a skeptic kind of the person that people get in if they want to kind of debunk things tell me how yeah. did you get into that is it is the current climate you know, more suitable for scepticism or are people more willing to believe anything? Uh, I think people are just as willing to believe any old nonsense as ever uh, and the internet kind of plays into that you know you can find anything that backs up what you already believe on the internet um, if you want to um, the reason I kind of got into it is because I found out how to do it myself and how the mediums and psychics work I won't be I won't be touching on it tonight though you are a writer as well and um, a couple of your book titles here 100 ways to win a tenner scams cons and games you can't lose can you please tell me how I can win a tenner can you give me an easy scam I might be able to try well, if you, on if a you, loved uh, one <laughs> If, if you shoplift the book, there's a hundred ways to win a tenner there. Um, but they're, they're mostly proposition bets, so it's kind of like, you know, I bet you I can do this, uh, you know, whatever. So, I mean, for example, you're sat on a, on a folding chair at the moment. Yeah. Now, um, I bet you I can pick you and the chair up with one hand. Uh, and if, uh, if I'm wrong, I'll give you a tenner. How's that? Okay. Yeah, you're on. Yeah. Can you do that? Okay. okay. So Hold on. He's, right. he's, he's putting down. Um, he's not even putting up his coffee. No, I can't do that. And if you remember what I said, I said, if I can't do that, um, oh, <laughs> oh, you trickster. Oh, how evil. Oh, I, to, I haven't got my wallet. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then another book you've written is Paul Zenon's Dirty Tricks, Pranks, Wind-Ups and Practical Jokes, A Guide to Getting Your Own Back. Now, are there any particularly wonderful ones that you remember or have you heard any new ones since you've written the book? Well, there's, there's obviously a lot of kind of internet ones now uh, around, you know, various uh, pranks you can play that way. But I sort of prefer the, the kind of traditional stuff, you know. There's, uh, I mean, there's the classics, things like, you know, um, sawing 
prawns in the bottom of someone's curtains when they go on holiday for a couple of weeks, you know, leaving dangling above the radiator if it's someone you really hate. But there's one, uh, I'm just trying to think offhand now. There's a thing I amuse myself with occasionally still, which is like if I'm sat in a cafe or a bar and I've got a half an hour to kill, I'll just stick a, a note on someone's windscreen outside saying, really sorry about the damage, uh, please call this number. And, <laughs> and, and actually just do a miss one digit off the number or whatever and then just watch people spend hours and hours walking around the car trying to find the damage. You That's know, just, terrific. Just, you know, petty little things like Please that. Please really. do that before you go home tonight in the Henley <laughs> Festival car park. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> I will. Have a great night. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Finally then, thanks for listening, and if you've yet to hear them, why not go back and check out episodes one to four, which feature Melanie C, Russell Kane, Goldie, Sarah Pascoe, Gino Washington and others. Remember to keep an eye out on the website henley-festival.co.uk and our social media for details about the 2018 festival, and we hope to see you there. <laughs>